<laughs> Quit out, Zing. Ghost Island Media. It's actually kind of insane how, like, ambitious some of the commitments are. And, it, like, just no one gives a fuck. Like, Walmart, for what Walmart is, they've done, like, so much to make their supply chain, like, sustainable and renewable. And just, like, no one gives a fuck. It's, like, really comical to me. Like, all these, like... Poor sustainability officers slowly, like, wrenching and ratcheting their company to, like, become more sustainable. Obviously, some of it's window dressing and some of it's real, but, like, no one cares. Hi, I'm Nature Nate, and this is Waste Not, Why Not, a sustainability science podcast on how not to save the environment. And uh, we wanted to try something new. We wanted to give you some hot takes. These are going to be lightly edited and about things that are in the news. It's just going to be me ranting because some of you told me you want to hear more of that. So here it is. The thing that's on my mind lately has been Asian countries committing to carbon neutrality. And what's frustrating is to see the media talk about it because it's evident that the journalists, you know, they're trying. There's a lot going on in the news lately. They don't really know a lot about these countries. Let me give you some context. China, Japan, and South Korea all committed to carbon neutrality targets from between 2050 to 2060. China committed to 2060, which is a big deal because they're the world's largest carbon emitter. This kind of got kicked off with the EU. The EU set a carbon neutrality target, and they've been working on getting other countries to commit to carbon neutrality. There is going to be a COP, climate change negotiations. Those things are still going on. So this is kind of part of that package where different countries are trying to ramp up their commitments. And I think ultimately they're trying to pressure certain countries to commit to carbon neutrality. The U.S. Uh, probably are going to have to wait until really fucking hope Biden wins. <laughs> Otherwise, this is all a moot point. But they're trying to build pressure on you know another big Asian country, India. No one ever really talks about India, but they're extremely important for climate change. And historically, they've resisted committing to carbon targets at a national level because they don't feel like they should because historically, and they're right, they have not contributed to climate change as much as Europe, the US, so-called rich countries. Anyway, so we have this context, getting other countries to commit to carbon neutrality. And China was the first to announce their carbon neutral target of 2060. Now, the thing with China is that this is an ambitious goal. They should deserve credit. But as someone who lives in a country that is routinely threatened with invasion and murder by China, that's Taiwan, as someone who also worked in China and was very familiar that China would routinely lie about data and misrepresent data, it's kind of hard to take this goal seriously. And I think that it's quite worrying that an authoritarian, basically fascist country would say that they're going to reach carbon neutrality because then this kind of becomes a frightening bargaining chip. There's a whole bunch of like interesting things you can think about in terms of how are they going to achieve this goal, but they're also a country that has concentration camps. So I think that that's like a very important caveat to keep in mind. It's not like China is the EU. You know, the EU, we know their emissions. They track them. There's auditing. There's third-party verification. We can reasonably trust that the EU's carbon emissions are as accurate as they can be, and they try and do international exchanges. What has China done in the past four years when the U.S. has abdicated climate leadership? Has China tried to build a coalition of countries committing to lower carbon targets? No, they've been building coal plants abroad. So I think that we should be extremely skeptical and extremely critical of China as they do this. But at the same time, be open to the fact that rapid change is possible because China is the largest user of renewable energy in the world right now. And China is also the largest user of coal right now. 
They just use a ton of energy. That's why they have so much renewable energy. So let's be cautious of China. Cautiously optimistic that it is possible, though. Just to give you some numbers, Wood McKenzie estimates China has to basically increase solar, wind, and storage capacities 11 times to 5,000 gigawatts by 2050 compared with 2020 levels. So that means that all of the solar and wind projects that they've built in the past, you know, 10 years that have received so much accolades and respect, they have to do that 11 more times. This is beyond unprecedented in human history. And I wouldn't blame you for thinking it's impossible. So China's interesting. China's always interesting because it's big and, and all that stuff, right? You can talk about China forever. But I think it's also worth really highlighting Japan and South Korea. First, let's talk about Japan because I like anime. So Japan set their goal as 2050. Japan is very different from China, obviously. Japan is actually similar to Taiwan, or rather Taiwan is similar to Japan, in that Japan imports a vast majority of its fuels. Japan is basically an island that just imports energy and then converts it into video game consoles and electronics and very important components for technical things that I don't understand, but it's sort of how Japan's economy works. And Japan actually, after Fukushima, went on a crazy renewable energy building binge, and they had quite high feed-in tariffs to develop solar and wind. Japan has a very large offshore wind potential because it's a generally good area for offshore wind. And Japan is an island, so there aren't a lot of other options. Japan's also said they've limited some of their nuclear. And frankly, just because of the freeze that's come from Fukushima, it seems sort of unlikely that Japan is going to be able to quickly build nuclear at the scale necessary to meet its carbon goals. So they're going to rely on carbon capture and utilization is what the government said. And they're still going to use coal-fired generation until 2030. And they're also really banking on hydrogen. Now, hydrogen fuel goes in hydrogen fuel cells is something really popular in Japan because Japan's automakers like Toyota, Mitsubishi want to use hydrogen as a way to replace gasoline, which makes sense because if you don't have a lot of energy sources, period, you want to look into other ways you can create storable fuels. But I don't think Japan's been commercially successful in creating a fully scalable hydrogen build out. So Japan's plans are interesting. And also Japan, like Europe, well, Japan will kind of obscure some of their negative environmental externalities, but we can be reasonably sure that if Japan commits to do something, they're going to actually do it because that's just sort of the way Japan is culturally and also on the international relations level. So I think Japan is really interesting also because if you look at where Japan is now, they have no real infrastructure to achieve this goal. Their renewable energy has lagged under Abe, period, and compared to Taiwan, they actually don't have as robust a green energy purchasing environment. So it's quite difficult for corporates to sponsor or invest in renewable energy compared with Taiwan. So we'll see. And some activists have criticized Japan's plan for not taking into account the large amount of coal that goes into their energy sector. Coal powered 33% of Japan's electricity as recently as 2015. And Japan has 30 new coal plants that are being planned or constructed at this stage. So if you're building coal plants now, you're going to use them for at least 20 to 30 years. So it's going to be quite difficult for Japan to reach its carbon neutrality goal. Remember, with carbon neutrality, it's not like you just have coal and you just do nothing until 2049. And then in 2050, you just magically become carbon neutral. You have to be working at this continuously. And also, now I feel old, 2050 is not that far away. 2050 is only 30 years away. So if I live my entire life again, oh God, if I live my entire life again, I'm going to have to be carbon neutral by then. 
That's hard. Another really interesting country is Korea. And I don't think environmental people, well, environmental people don't talk about Asia, period. But environmental people don't talk about Korea enough. Korea is the home base of the Green Climate Fund, which is the finance mechanism that the UNFCC uses to pay for carbon reduction projects. That's based in Korea. Korea finances it a great deal. Korea has also pledged to make their own Green New Deal, and they're going to be spending 8 trillion won, which is around 7 billion U.S. dollars, on a Green New Deal. Korea is in a similar position to Japan where coal makes up 40% of South Korea's electricity mix, and they have one of the highest per capita carbon emissions in the region. Korea is also the furthest behind in terms of renewable energy, and they have major manufacturing electricity usages like Samsung, LG. So... Korea spends a lot on climate change, and it seems like recently they've started to really take it seriously. And the good thing about renewable energy is that it's a solvable problem. If we just dump enough money into something, we can do it. It's not the same as getting rid of plastic. We don't have a way to just spend enough money and stop using plastic. We don't have a way to just spend enough money and stop harming endangered species. We can actually just spend enough money and get renewable energy, though. And to that end, get off coal. There are certain industrial processes where this is not the case yet, but I think that this is a really strong signal we're seeing from Korea where they're just putting all this money in. So if you look at China, Japan, and Korea, China obviously, yes, is putting in billions and billions and billions of dollars into it and is taking it seriously, but it's China. Can we really take them seriously? And there's so many other contentious political issues like their conflict with India, their conflict with Taiwan, their conflict with Hong Kong, their conflict with Xinjiang, that it's kind of confuses that. South Korea, though, is relatively nice. Everybody likes South Korea. Well, not in this region, but generally people seem to have positive opinions of South Korea. K-pop has done very well, and it's possible that K-pop will in the future be powered by renewable energy. Japan has less clear plans. So if I had to pick like a winner out of these three countries, it seems like Korea is putting the money into it and seems like they're taking it the most seriously, but they have the most progress to make. China has made maybe the most progress, but it's hard to tell if they're real or not. And Japan is kind of in the middle where they've put a lot of progress into renewable energy and carbon neutrality in the past, but recently they've kind of fallen behind. Maybe with this new president, they will take it more seriously again. He's not the president. He's the prime minister. The prime minister of Malaysia. Okay. <laughs> I need to watch Zoolander again. And um, I think that the last piece of the puzzle here, well, obviously, you know, I'm based in Taiwan. And so I think about what's Taiwan going to do? Taiwan is not committed to carbon neutrality. But recently, TSMC, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturer, the extremely important company that is making 5G chips and is basically responsible for your iPhone and is responsible for many of Apple's products, TSMC has committed to use 100% renewable electricity. And TSMC makes up 5% of Taiwan's power. So Taiwan is interesting also in that Taiwan looks to Japan and Korea when designing policies frequently. If we look at recycling, first Japan created really robust recycling policies, then Korea, then Taiwan. If we follow the same logic, first Japan committed to carbon neutrality, then Korea, Taiwan will probably commit to carbon neutrality in some way, right? Well, that's what I would hope anyway. Taiwan is not necessarily as significant in the global stage as Japan and Korea. Sure, I'll admit that if you force me to. But Taiwan is extremely important for large brands, supply chains, and manufacturing. And that's the other thread that I want to thread into this carbon neutrality discussion is that this doesn't happen in a vacuum. The private sector is involved. Apple, Walmart, even medium-sized companies or medium-gigantic-sized companies like Lululemon are committing to reduce carbon emissions in their supply chains. And when you're a large brand, 
your supply chain is probably significantly in Asia. There's almost I don't I can't think of a single company that has a significant supply chain outside of Asia. If you look at Apple, there are 40 companies that make the iPhone in Taiwan. Think about Foxconn also supplies Apple in China. Then you think about all the major brands like Walmart, Target, where you buy stuff, Amazon. The stuff is coming from Asia. When those big brands commit to science-based targets, when they commit to reducing their carbon emissions in their scope three, which is their supply chain, that means that Asia then has to supply more renewable energy and that Asia is going to have to become carbon neutral. So there's definitely a link going on here where businesses whom I talk to for my job see that the writing is on the wall and that manufacturers are going to have to start sourcing renewable electricity in order to remain competitive economically. So these kind of these two things are existing in parallel. And I think, number one, people don't talk about Asia enough when it comes to environmental topics, even though sort of like Asia, broadly speaking, is the majority of the world's population. It's going to be the majority of the world's carbon emissions, and it's going to be the majority of the world's economic growth into the next 20, 30 years. And the last thing is that uh, coal is evil. If you think about all of these countries, their main challenge to reaching carbon neutrality is coal. China, coal, Japan, coal, Korea, coal, Taiwan, coal, India, coal. All these countries use tons and tons of coal. Even switching to natural gas probably won't really help because of concerns with methane accounting, with concerns of methane leakage. So we really need to find ways to replace coal and not just for energy because that's doable. Energy storage, solar, wind, that's fine. Electric vehicles. But replacing coal in an industrial sense, your clothing requires coal to be made. Your alcohol, your ethanol is made by burning coal. Coal is used in so many different industrial processes. Coal is required in the creation of steel unless they use an electric arc furnace. So to the extent that we can find a way to end coal use, we can find a way for Asia and by extension the world to reach carbon neutrality and avoid catastrophic climate emissions. Oh, and by the way, we'll also be saving literally millions of lives and tons of animals because we won't be mining coal, doing mountaintop removal. There won't be air pollution. There won't be acid rain because we'll be getting rid of coal, which is just so absolutely toxic. It's also worth mentioning that carbon neutrality is somewhat contentious because you can reach carbon neutrality in multiple ways, right? Obviously, we would like people to do that with wind and solar and energy storage, maybe some hydro, geothermal, tidal energy. But you can also do this with biomass. You can take forests, chop them down, and burn them because evil. Because with carbon accounting, we view that biomass as being carbon neutral. So it's a carbon neutral energy source, you know. Another way to reach carbon neutrality would be with a vast expansion of nuclear power. That's a whole other contentious issue that probably deserves its own hot take. So carbon neutrality is not by itself the end goal. It's good. It's sort of like the minimum. We need this. Okay, and now the interesting thing becomes, how are we going to reach carbon neutrality? That's my hot take. Like and subscribe. <laughs> I'm Nature Nate, and this has been the Waste Not, Why Not podcast, recorded at Future Ward, a co-working space in Taipei, Taiwan. Do you have questions for us? Tweet them at us. We are on Waste Not Pod on Twitter, and our DMs are open. Give us a good rating to let us know you really care. This has been a Ghost Island Media production. This episode was produced by Yu Chun Lai and myself, Nature Nate. Our executive producer is Emily Y. Wu, edited by Yu Chun Lai. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. What should we call these? Should we call these something else? Or no, just, just like another episode. Maybe we name it if people like it, like it's like a kid, you know? You don't name it until sure. Yeah. you're sure it's not yeah. right. Because yeah. you don't want to name it and then kill it. It's like a pet, you I know? Would do it.